Yeah. You know, I, um, I think I've, I've mentioned to you all before, there, there is something about standing here, this perspective of these faces, um, some of these faces I know better than others, but there is, I know that there, this past year, I mean, I know that there's, there's been death, right? Some of us, you know, have lost spouses. My aunt is, okay, my mom is here, her her, uh, her only sister's in the hospital right now and um, just clinging to life. And, but you know, when I look around this room, I'm looking at your faces, right? And I know that there's a lot going on and there's nothing that, that I can say, there's nothing Rusty could say um, to change your circumstances. But what I do know when I look at these faces too is I know who dwells within you. And the Holy Spirit at times he's referred to as the comforter. And I just pray that, that you find comfort in the spirit that dwells within you. Because I know that there are relationships, death, job situations. You know, I see you. I see you. And I know who dwells within you. And I just want you to be comforted, reassured by the one who dwells within you. And when Rusty had, had uh, asked me to, um, to share this weekend, just one thing that has struck me is that the, there, there's a verse that says, you, we recognize no one by the flesh. So when I say to you, I'm not going to recognize you by the flesh, I would hope you don't recognize me by the flesh. But I was with the, uh, um, a lady from Leavener and her husband in the... Uh, she was on the verge of tears. And it just made me realize that there's a lot of us here. We may have our identity. We may have a very good grip on our identity. A very good grip. But one thing I want you all to do too, don't recognize yourself by your flesh either. Good or bad. Flesh is flesh. One thing Luke said to me a few weeks ago, I laughed about it. He said that my flesh isn't getting better. It's not getting better. Flesh is flesh, right? And there's good flesh and there's bad flesh, right? It's the two trees. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? You've got good flesh. You've got evil flesh. And then there's the tree of life. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he dwells within you. So I just really, whenever I come up here, I just want to encourage you. Because we're in this thing together, right? I want to come out of the desert. I want to go in the promised land. I want to fight next to you. I want to fight with you. I want you to fight with me. And that's where I brought this up here today is, the, is a sword, right? I think it's a bionicle sword, if I'm not mistaken, but it's a sword. And the reason I say that is that it was you know, to, to see this lady in tears. I think that there's a lot of us at times the armor of God, a lot of it is very defensive, right? And we all know we've been here long enough. We know that the helmet of salvation is not a hat. It's not something we take off, put on, take off, put on. It's on. It's there. It doesn't come off. You've got the breastplate of righteousness, right? And you go through all of these very defensive weaponry that we have. We have one offensive weapon, right? And that's the, the, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. And all I want to do just is really is just take us through and sharpen up our weapons. 
and work on our weaponry and our weapon skills so we can fight. Because we've been rope-a-dope for too long. And if you see me rope-a-doping, come along and just you can ask me. There's a, there's a, a, a great song that I like from uh, Chris Stapleton that you know, it's titled, you know, the, uh, what are you listening to? Right? It's one of the first things you know, God said to Adam in the garden. Who, who told you that? Who told you you're naked? What are you listening to? Who are you listening to? And if he is pounding on you, right? remember when Muhammad Ali was, was rope-a-dope with George Foreman, he didn't just stand on the ropes and just take punches for the whole match. At some point, he came out of the, off the ropes and beat George Foreman. He then went on the offensive. We have a weapon. The weapon is the Word of God. And that's why I just want to encourage everybody to fight back. I want to fight. I want to win. I like winning. I love winning. And I want to win with you. Right? And all the glory to God. So I just want to go through just a real quick, I mean, this is just blaze through Romans chapter 5 and 6. We are going to blaze through this. And the first verse I want to look at is Romans chapter 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have peace with God. You see this up here? You have peace with God. Have you seen a baby sleep? Eric, I don't know if you, oh, you can see that. Wes and Rachel just brought little Lily in here. Have you seen a ba- like a newborn baby sleep? They have no wrinkles on their faces. or They're not worried about taxes or their kids' tuition, right, or retirement or whatever has got you bent up or relationship. They sleep so peacefully. You have peace with God. I hope that that verse would bring you the ability to sleep better. You've been forgiven, past tense. You have peace with God. We're way too long in my Christian life. I just thought that God was just ready just to smack me if my behavior got out of line. I just looked at him as like a disciplining coach or father that was just waiting for me to disappoint him and then he would deal with it. You've got peace with God. You're good. So sleep, be easy. Just know that he's for you to the point that he's with you constantly. Moving on to chapter 5, verses um, 3 through 5. And not only that, But we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proving character. And proving character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This hope. It says this hope. This hope is this faith. And part of this faith is the fact that He dwells within us. Do you put up this? Do you guys remember this thing? This was the very first self-help program I ever remember in my life. I think I was in second grade at Divine Infant School in Chicago, and they would have these little little papers we could go through, and you could order these things, and these things you could buy them for like a quarter or something like that, a, just a cheap little poster you could put on your wall. This isn't just some self-help program, right? The Creator of the universe is dwelling within us. Right, So this hope that we have to overcome is so much. It is so much more than he got us out of hell into heaven. There's an abundant life that he's offering to us. Jesus said, I came that they'd have life and have it abundantly. That's what he wants. He didn't say, I came that they'd stop sinning. He said, I came that they'd have life. You know, I've got three kids. They're here right now. I want my kids to live. I know they're going to misbehave at times. And again, 
and again for the rest of their lives. That's not what I'm focused on. I want them to live. My desire was before they ever left my house that they at some point would enjoy the fruit of the Spirit at least once. Because once you get a taste of the fruit of the Spirit, the world has nothing that compares. It just has these counterfeits. They're like cotton candy. Put them in your mouth and they're just gone quickly. The fruit of the Spirit will bring contentment. Right? All the other counterfeits, addictions, that's why it happens. They just spin and spin and spin. There's never enough. There's just never enough. The next verse, it says up here, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time. That is, I just want to jump on that right there. The right time. You guys have heard me say this before. Rusty was kind enough to let me come up here one time and preach about these fees. I would tell you, my confidence in Christ comes from Judaism. It doesn't come from the Gospels. It doesn't come from Paul's writings. It comes from the harmony of the whole thing. But first and foremost, it comes from Judaism. I think people don't believe because they've never investigated it. If you only ever read the red letters or even if you only ever read Paul's letters, you're going to miss just the fulfillment. They had been celebrating Passover for about as long as we've been celebrating Christmas. For as long as we've been celebrating Christmas, that's about how long they had celebrated Passover until the exact day Passover came along. Do you know what day they killed Jesus? They killed Jesus on Passover. They killed Jesus on Passover. History doesn't deny that. Like, this is a historical fact. That's not debatable. Like, they know that, that that's when that happened. And then he came up, you know, here again, the Feast of Unleavened Bread came up out of the ground in the Feast of First Fruits. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. Fifty days after that is the Feast of Pentecost. I thought Pentecost was a Christian thing. I thought it was my friends that could speak in tongues and dance in the Spirit and all that. No, it's a Jewish feast. They had celebrated for 1,500 years. Right, it's when the Spirit came to dwell with on all the believers. And how all these things lined up and Jesus knocked them all down. Exactly. Him coming into town. You know, the, the sheep, the lamb being quiet before it shears. All these problems. You read the Old Testament, it's like, I can't believe they didn't see it. Lord, don't let me be blind to this. And again, on this, this next thing I put up here, people had... Last time I, I spoke, I brought this up. This is from Time Magazine. This isn't from me. But I asked the question, who's the most fascinating person that ever lived? Everybody says it's Jesus, right? But remember, I had this blacked out, and I, I said, you know, well, who's the second most fascinating person that ever lived? Time Magazine says Napoleon, which I think is funny. Whoever you think should be number two, I just want you to imagine the drop, the drop-off. From number one to two, I don't care if you think it's Abraham Lincoln or Aristotle, right? Or Napoleon or Muhammad. Just think of the drop from one to two. It's a significant drop. So if Jesus is the most fascinating person that's ever lived, well, let's dig into some of these things that were prophesied. Let's look at the evidence. I just want people to look at the evidence and then make a decision. Because what I've seen is people dismiss it out of hand. And I find most humans like to consider themselves smart. And that's fine, right? But I want you to look at this evidence, address it, consider it, and then make a decision. 
Because the evidence is overwhelming. And that evidence, again, I, I, so much of that comes to me. It's, it comes out of Judaism. The next verse. The, uh, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. The cow says, right, yeah, that was, remember, mine, was, mine said were. The, uh, but the were, while you were yet sinners, what are you now? Ooh, what are you now? Can you say I'm a saint? Can you say it with enthusiasm? All right. I've got 60 verses that back up that fact. I've got 60 verses that say that you're a saint. Way too many Christian folks, they think it sounds humble to cling to this idea that I'm just a dirty, raw, no good, low down sinner. And they'll add in their own adjectives and try to top somebody else to sound even lower than the other person. What God says about you trumps how you feel about yourself. My own misguided or our own misguided theologies, God trumps all of that. He says you're a saint. Clearly, your behavior is not anchored to your identity. You are forgiven. You are a saint. You've been saved. All the glory to God. While you were a sinner, you're not a sinner anymore. I'm not saying you don't sin. I'm just saying that's who you were. It's not who you are. That's who you were. The next verse, this was a friend of mine, Bob Warren. This was his favorite verse. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Saved by his life. The, uh, what does it mean to be saved by his life? Right? So much more than being reconciled. We've been saved. Right? But he's given us his life. His life dwells within us. There's a battle going on in everybody's mind. There's a battle going on right now. Things coming at us, right? Maybe one of these resonates with you. Maybe it's anxiety, right? Maybe it's angst of the future. Maybe it's condemnation of the past. But not only did he save us, right? He's given us his life. <laughs> it's an eternal life. It's not that someday when we die, he gave us his life. It's an eternal life. It has no beginning, no end. As Luke said earlier, you are now in Christ. Right? You're in Christ now. You have an eternal life. No beginning, no end. Right? So you can fight. Right? We can fight. And this stuff, it happens. Right? I have little vignettes play out in my head. No, I'm going to say this to him. I'm going to show him. I'm going to tell him this. And what's your witching hour? Mine's 3 3 a.m. Sometimes 3.30 in the morning. Where the power sin wakes me up and just comes at me. Happened this past week. Here said, how'd you sleep? I said, I didn't sleep from 3.30 till 5. I can't stop it. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying fighting is a joy. But we can fight. We've been given a sword. So there's times, and like this past week, where it's just firing into my brain. And I can't, I can't sleep because it's loud. But I'm safe in a bunker with the Spirit. And I can hear bombs going off and bullets going over my head. Right? I can't stop the power of sin from barking into my mind. But I don't have to engage the enemy by myself. The Spirit of God dwells within me and can take care of that. The next verse, the uh, 5.13 says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. 
That is, you know, when I look at that, the, uh, let me put this up. Sin is not imputed where there is no law. I put this up there in a chat I've mentioned. I anchor verses to friends. This is actually a, a ratio I've anchored to my friend Chad Hayward. Ten to one. Do you go to heaven because of your behavior? No, I see Jeff Lukert. Do you go to heaven because of your behavior? Did you get in because of your good behavior? Do you get kicked out because of your bad behavior? No, this thing never was about behavior. It never was. What amazes me is Scripture is consistent about that. My theology wasn't. I listened to a lot of things on the radio. A lot of theology on the radio is not consistent with that. You didn't come in by behavior. You don't get kicked out by behavior. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That was before Moses ever even got the Ten Commandments. There is a ten to one ratio in Scripture that talks about you being in Christ. Clearly God is trying to stress something to us. Ten times over, it stresses that you are in Christ versus every time it mentions Christ is in you. It is great news. Incredible Miraculous news that Christ dwells within us. But ten times more frequently, he wants us to see that you are in Christ. He's really stressing that. So it's, you don't come in by behavior, you don't get kicked out by behavior. And remember, there's a point that is just trying to be driven home here by God is the fact that you are in Christ. And praise God, he keeps you. The next verse, the, uh, this is one, it, it, it's, the law came in so that the transgressions would, in, would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The law was given so that transgressions would increase. The law was given so that we would sin more. The law was given so that we would sin more. The law was given so that you would sin more. I can't tell you how many times I've heard ministers just kind of rip through that verse and not come back to it. Because really, think about that. The law was given so that we would sin more. What was the purpose of the law? So we'd sin more. What did he want us to do? What was the purpose of the law? He wanted us to see what? We needed a Savior, right? And when we see that, what does he do? He kills us. He kills our old man and crucified with Christ. Jeff brought this verse up, you know, a couple weeks ago, and we talked about it again on Friday. How many, there's so many people I talk to who understand their identity. The verse Galatians 2.20 resonates with them. You know, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who, who live, but Christ who lives in me. Something died. And the purpose of the law, right, was for us to see that we needed a Savior. And you'll see here, on this sword, I've put on there a mirror, right? It's a sword, but it's got a mirror on it. it the purpose was for me to see that I need a Savior. And then what does God do? He kills me and turns me into a new creation. Old things pass away, all things made new. What did I do for much of my Christian life? I used the law as a mirror to look at myself and admire my good behavior, you know, maybe beat myself up about my bad behavior, 
Maybe I'll use it and kind of direct it towards Mike and say, oh, Mike's doing it wrong. And I'd look at Joe, Amy, oh, they're doing it wrong. You know, it's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to kill us. Make us see that we need a savior. You're not under law, you're under grace, right? The law is not for the righteous, it's for the unrighteous. Once it's served its purpose, that law is for the unbelievers. Moving on from there, the, uh, this is Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? The, you know, should we continue to sin so that grace may increase? The, uh, this was, again, I can just imagine, this, this still comes up today where people will say to you when you talk to them about their identity, they're like, oh, you're talking about antinomianism. You're saying I got a license to sin. You're saying, it's like, no, you missed the point. You're a new creation. Right? Should we go on sinning so that grace may that's illogical? You you've missed the whole the, the point is that you're a new creation. You've got a new nature. Right? I'm not saying you don't sin. I'm just saying that, no, that that you're a new you're a new being. Old things passed away, all things made new. Moving on then, verse 6-6 says this, I'm sure many of you know this, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. This is a verse a lot of times you'll hear tied with Galatians 2.20. Something died. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Something died, right? Where were you when Jesus died? Where were you? You can say it. In him. Now, if that happened in 30 AD and you were born in 1960 something, 50 something, 30 something, 80 something, 90 something, how were you in Christ? Remember that 10 to 1 ratio you're in Christ. You've been given an eternal life, you have no beginning, no end. So when Christ was on the cross, you were crucified with Christ. You've now become a new creation. Right? So where were you? That's right. Like in Christ. You are in Christ. And you were crucified with Christ. And you now have a new life. The verse right after that. The, uh, for he who has died is freed from sin. The uh, freedom is a word that is talked a lot about in Scripture. And if the, the uh, let me put this, does everybody know who this gentleman is? I know everybody knows Mickey. Everybody know who this gentleman is? When we were kids, he'd come on the, you know, the TV. Was it Sunday night or Saturday night? Sunday night? The, uh, that's Walt Disney. So Walt Disney, there was a guy. There was a gentleman named Walt Disney. So when I talk, when I think of freedom in Christ or freedom in Christianity, we're free to live. Why is it when we talk to people about this, they think, oh, you're talking about license to sin. No, no, no. We're free to live. So the reason I put this picture up here is that just imagine that Walt Disney's your father, right? It's opening day of, of Disneyland or Disney World, whichever you choose. And they open up the gates and Walt Disney says to you, you know what? You are free to ride all the rides. You're free to eat all of the food. You're free to play all the games. I want you to live and enjoy this. And what do people say? So you're saying I'm free. You are free to partake. 
You ride the Dumbo ride, Space Mountain, whatever you want to do. Say, are you saying that I'm free? Yes, you're free. Am I free to eat from the trash cans? I guess. I think you missed what I was saying. Are you saying that that I can eat the gum off the sidewalk? I I guess you could. You're you're free. But is is that what you want? You don't want that. You're free. Let's go ride the Dumbo ride. Right? You were free. We're free to live. So go live. Go partake. Enjoy it. Right? But when people miss this message of freedom, just know that it's free to enjoy him and let him live through you. Right? And then God is glorified through that. The next verse after that is, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Right? We're not under law. You're under grace. Right? The law served its purpose. Right? There's a new principle. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus set you free from the law of sin and of death. The law served its purpose with you. Killed you, made you into a new creation. Right? The, you put this up. This is a friend of mine, Bob Warren. This is the very first selfie I ever remember taking. This was, probably took me five times to try to get that selfie right. But Bob took that verse and he paraphrased it. And he paraphrased it, and I hear it a lot oftentimes in like banquet situations, great banquet situations, where Bob, you say, you don't have to, you get to. It's a paraphrase of Romans 6.14. You don't have to, right? You don't have to live. You get to. You don't have to go and partake and ride the Dumbo ride in Space Mountain. You get to. You don't have to, right? We're free. We're free to live. There's an abundant life out there for us to have. I'm not a fan of trite sayings, but when you can condense something down that lines up with Scripture, right? And there's a few that I think of. I mentioned one a couple weeks ago from April Miles about that comparison is the thief of joy, right? The Esther Getchell had said, you know, you don't provide for your family. God provides for our, for, for, for our families, right? The Sherry Liam had said once that if you are always encouraging others, you'll always be encouraged. I like trite sayings and little saying and phrases when they line up with Scripture. You don't have to, you get to. Lines up very well with Scripture. Right? And God is glorified through that. All right, last verse. I'm going to touch on this at the end of Romans 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. Right? Are you free to sin? As Charlie Ward says, how's that working out for you? How's that working out? You're free. What's that taste like? It tastes awful. Right? You're free. You know, you can eat that. Sure. But you won't enjoy it. Right? And we could spin us out into addictions and things like that. Right? We, we get that. But that's where, again, it, it's, you were new creations. Right? And we tap into his strength through weakness. And I think it's perfect that in that verse, it talks about the, the free gift. The free gift. Right? And we've got Christmas coming up here on Tuesday. So this is where, again, when you see on there, it says, to me, to you, from God. Right? All of this. This is not a show. Right? This is about you and God. This isn't about Rusty or me or whoever's got a microphone. This is about you and God. We are here to encourage you, right? 
We hope that you encourage each other and us and all. We're all in this thing together. And like I said, there are many, many folks who died in the desert. I don't want to stay in the desert. I do not want to stay in the desert. Right? God provided for them in the desert. He gave them manna. He gave them water. Right? Gave them a pillar of fire at night and gave them a cloud by the day. Right? Sven just came back from the desert in Saudi Arabia. I don't want to go. Right? And I don't want to stay there. I want to go in the promised land. We're going to go across the Jordan. And it's going to take some faith to go there. And we're going to have to fight and settle our ground and get there. And we're going to rest. And it says in Hebrews 4 that it remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The babes in the faith know their sins are forgiven. Don't stay there. That's the desert. You got through the Red Sea. Don't stay in the desert. Right? And remember, the Red Sea closed up behind them. There's no going back. You can't go back. There's no going back. You're safe, secure. You're kept. You're kept for Christ, by Christ. He keeps you. You don't keep yourself. He keeps you. Right? But now we're here, probably within 14 days, they could have been in the promised land. But way too many stayed in the desert, right? So let's go. I just want to go sharpen up our swords. Again, the, the word is here. I, I think that, again, we find value in Scripture if we see I can use that. There's verses I want everybody to see. It's like, I need that. That will help me sleep. That will help me fight. That will help me fend something off. If we see value in Scripture, we'll put time into it. Because there's a lot of us here, we could sit down and we could go over movie lines, right? I never sat down and looked at a script to memorize those movie lines. I was sitting at lunch the other day and this song came on and it was a, it was a song reminding me of that movie with Patrick Swayze, that, some dancing movie, The Time of My Life. I don't even like that song. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know all these words. I don't even like this song, Right? But in Scripture, right, it's the sword of the Spirit. It's the hope we have to fight. We fight spiritual battles with spiritual weaponry. Right? We've been given Scripture, and you've been given the Spirit. You've been given believers around you. So let's sharpen up our swords. Right? We're going to fight. We're going to win. Right? So, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this day. Thank you for these people. Lord, the, uh, I, I know you are the root and we are the vine. You're the vine, we're the branches. I've seen the fruit come off of these people. I am just so grateful for them. And again, Lord, I just pray that all of us will not only be comforted, but we also know that you are our advocate and you will fight through us. And all that is, uh, Lord, to your glory. We are so grateful for you that you have us. And Lord, we will say happy birthday and thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The, uh, let's see, birthday.